0: This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode number 40, the big four zero, entitled Paul's Adam Christology in Philippians. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Hopefully, this podcast has encouraged you to start conversations with your friends, with your family, and with your pastor about these important topics. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I am your host. In the last two episodes, we examined what scholars have described as Paul's Adam Christology, namely, his theology about Jesus Christ in terms of contrasting Christ's person and work from that of the primordial human being, Adam. It is universally agreed by modern Pauline scholars that some form of Adam Christology appears in Romans and 1 Corinthians. There is less agreement, however, on whether Paul is exhibiting Adam Christology in Philippians, namely within the Christ hymn of Philippians 2, 5-11. Nearly 40 years ago, James D.G. Dunn argued that Philippians 2 was another passage where Paul is describing Christ in terms of Adam Christology, and Dunn's arguments have been so pervasive that all subsequent commentaries on Philippians were forced to interact with this noteworthy suggestion. Some would argue that, since Adam is not explicitly mentioned in Philippians 2, then there could be no Adam Christology within this passage. However, it is important to remind our listeners that Paul regularly mentions key points in well-known Old Testament stories, expecting his readers to pick up on these echoes and allusions. For example, Paul can mention the ancestors passing through the sea in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 1, and reasonably expect his readers to identify the redemption story in the book of Exodus. Paul can furthermore mention Abraham's two sons and the two women who bore these sons in Galatians 4 and verse 22, expecting full well that his readers would know who these sons and mothers were and the drama that ensued between them. So it is quite likely that Paul can expect his readers to pick up on the echoes and allusions to the Adam story in Genesis within his contrasting description of Christ, especially if Adam Christology was a regular arrow in the quiver of Paul's teaching and preaching, as we have seen in the earlier letters of 1 Corinthians and Romans. I think that Paul is indeed evoking the echoes of the Adam story of Genesis within the argument of Philippians 2, and this episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast will show that Adam Christology was intentionally expressed in this passage. Since Philippians was written chronologically after Romans and 1 Corinthians, Paul had sufficient time to integrate his Adam Christology into his arguments and teachings, thus laying the groundwork for any possible allusions to Adam that might appear in Philippians chapter 2. We'll begin by examining what sort of allusions to Adam are present in this passage, and then observe how Paul contrasts Christ. With these Adamic echoes. A footnote to teaching on Philippians 2, 5-11 is that there are many key phrases within the Greek text of this passage that are elusive and ambiguous, and this particular episode will not have the time to argue the details of these important and critical matters. I would refer interested listeners back to episode 13, where many of these points are covered in further detail. So if you want many of the footnotes on phrases like being in the form of God, in the form of a servant, the difference between whether Philippians 2 should be translated as something to be grasped or something to be exploited, or further phrases, I would refer people to episode 13, episode 1-3 of this podcast. So let's begin. Let's start by looking at the allusions to Adam in Philippians chapter 2. I want to read this passage based on my translation, Philippians 2, 5-11, which says, Have this attitude among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, while existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being made in the likeness of humanity. Being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians 2, verses 5-11. I want to look at each of these verses and look at some important phrases and ask the question as to whether or not these phrases or these words would have evoked any sort of allusion or echo to the Adam story. So starting in 2, in verse 5, it says that the readers are to have or possess this attitude among themselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. We have that phrase there, Christ Jesus, namely King Jesus. Not Jesus Christ, but Christ Jesus, King Jesus. By itself, this designation, King Jesus, would not suggest an allusion to Adam, but the Jewish expectation of the Messiah was that he was going to sum up and fix all of the world's problems and he was going to restore the earthly rulership to the true people of god namely israel so implicitly the vocation of the messiah presupposes that human beings were intended to rule the world but there is a worldwide problem that the messiah was to patch up adam was created to rule over god's world but this rulership was taken away from Adam when he sinned. So there's not going to be an explicit reference here to Adam, but the role of the Messiah, the Messiah's vocation was to undo and to fix the problem of Adam. Looking in Philippians 2:6 where it says that Christ Jesus, or King Jesus, was existing in the form of God. I want to talk about this phrase, how King Jesus, the Messiah Jesus, was existing in the form of God. This phrase, the form of God, in Greek, indicates the outward attitude likened to the attitude expressed by God. And I use that word carefully, the word attitude. Thus, Jesus thought and acted in a manner like God, since the initial ethical command in chapter 2 and verse 5 was for readers to think this way, which was also in Christ Jesus, or to have this attitude among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. It makes sense that the passage would elaborate on how Jesus himself thought and acted if it told its readers to think and to act in the same way that Jesus did. So for Jesus to exist and to function in the form of God, this means that he exercised the attitude of God. That's actually what the Greek phrase morphe theu means in this passage. Of course, this seems to evoke an echo or an allusion to Adam In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, God created man, or God created the Adam, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So Adam right here is created in the image of God, and the image of God is a vocation given to the original human being here that reflects God to the world. That's what it means for Adam to be an image bearer, as an image bearer. Adam was to reflect God to the world. So Jesus having or exercising the attitude of God certainly overlaps with Adam's role as an image bearer. If Adam was to reflect God to the world as an image bearer, then Jesus functioning in the form of God, functioning and exercising the attitude of God, would certainly overlap with the vocation originally given to Adam. Moving on to chapter 2 and verse 7, where it says that King Jesus did not regard equality with God. And the passage goes on, but I want to look at this particular phrase, that he did not regard equality with God. It was understood within Jewish theology that the king instilled by God was the human ruler on earth ruling on God's behalf. In other words, this human ruler installed by God was the human agent of God's rule on earth, to the point to where this human king can be called God and be described as ruling on the throne of Yahweh. This equates to a functional equality between God and the human being through whom God ruled. And that's important to note that the Equality with God that Jesus didn't regard was a functional equality between the human Messiah and someone distinct from the human Messiah, namely God. Of course, we could see that Adam also possessed this functional equality with God as the human ruler. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, God tells Adam that he is to fill the earth, he is to subdue it, and he is to rule. Fill the earth, subdue, and rule. Thus, Adam is designated as the human being through whom God is going to rule his creation. So, Jesus didn't regard equality with God as a thing to exploit. At the end of chapter 2 and verse 7, it says that this functional equality with God that the human Messiah possessed was something that Jesus could exploit, but he didn't do it. In the book of Genesis, we can see that Adam and Eve, represented humanity, were tempted to go far beyond their vocation as human image bearers. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5 says that God knows that in the day you, Adam and Eve, eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There we can see that they were tempted to go beyond their vocation as image bearers, and they exploited that position by disobeying God in their eating of the forbidden fruit Jesus on the other hand refused temptation and the Gospels explicitly mention specific temptations given to Jesus wherein he might have abused his messianic privileges namely to turn stones into bread to accept the kingdoms of the world from Satan to summon legions of angels to his defense or to even come down off of the cross on his own. So there we see that Adam was disobedient by exploiting his position as an image-bearer of God to where Jesus refused this temptation. And the passage in Philippians chapter 2 is going to go on and explain how Jesus refused this temptation. In chapter 2 and verse 7, it says that Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant which was in the likeness of humanity. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 6-7, it says that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from the fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin Coverings. That's Genesis 3, verses 6 through 7. There we can see the disobedience of the original human being, Adam. On the contrary, Jesus accepted his lot with humanity, namely the consequence of Adam's sin and corruption, leading to death. That's what it says, that Jesus there took the form of a servant in the likeness of humanity. Note carefully, and this is extremely important, that Jesus went from exercising The form or attitude of God to exercising the form slash attitude of a servant. Many readers assume that Paul here is contrasting divinity to humanity, but what the text actually says is that Christ emptied himself from the attitude of God to the attitude of an obedient servant, likely the suffering servant of Isaiah chapters 52 through 53. In chapter 2 and verse 8, it says that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. We can see that Adam here is evoked in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, which says that by the sweat of your face, you, Adam, will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. There Adam, because of his disobedience, is going to die. Jesus demonstrated humility and obedience in that chapter 2 and verse 8 says that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. So Jesus' humility and obedience is contrasting Adam's arrogance and disobedience. And the contrast of Jesus' obedience with Adam's disobedience is a clear sign to Adam Christology based on Paul's fuller exposition in Romans 5 verses 12 through 21. In chapter 2 and verse 9, it says that God highly exalted him. God highly exalted Jesus. Here, Paul seems to allude to a passage about Adam outside of the book of Genesis in Psalm chapter 8. In Psalm 8, verses 5 through 6, it says that you crown him, namely, God crowns Adam with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. That's Psalm 8 verses 5 through 6, there we can see the exaltation that was promised to Adam, namely that he would rule over the works of God's hand and that all things would be put under Adam's feet. We can see that Jesus fulfilled the role and the vocation of Adam and even outdid Adam in that Jesus now shares in the authoritative name of God something that Jesus only possessed after his exaltation, not before. In chapter 2 and verse 10 of Philippians, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth. And it's interesting to see this threefold division, things that are in heaven above, things that are on earth, and things that are under the earth, the threefold division of those things that will give obedience and homage to Jesus. This evokes further allusions to Adam, In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, God says that Adam is to rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Again, you have that threefold division of the things under the earth, the things that are in the sea, the birds of the sky, the things that are in heaven, and every living thing that moves on the earth, the things that are on the earth. Also, later in Psalm 8, Especially in verses 6 through 8, we can see that this allusion that the rulership promised to Adam and the vocation promised to Adam was to cover a rulership over these three different levels of creation. Psalm 8, verses 6 through 8, says that you, God, have put all things under his feet, all things under Adam's feet, namely all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea whatever passes through the paths of the sea. That's Psalm 8, verses 6-8. Again, we see that the sheep, oxen, and beasts of the field implies the things that are on the earth. The birds of the heaven implies the things in heaven, and the fish of the sea implies the things under the earth. So both in Genesis one and in Psalm 8, verses 6-8, we can see this threefold division of the things that are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth that Paul describes and fleshes out in Philippians 2 and verse 10, namely the things that are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth are going to bow their knee, give obedience, and homage to Jesus in the future. Jesus will one day receive homage from all creation in a deliberate parallel to the rulership originally intended for Adam. So, in conclusion, we have observed that, number one, although Adam is not explicitly mentioned In Philippians 2, verses 5-11, Paul has placed deliberate echoes and allusions throughout the passage to evoke Adam's story in such a way as to highlight the distinction between Adam and Christ. Number two, we saw that just like the Adam Christology passages in Romans and 1 Corinthians, Philippians depicts Jesus as the obedient human Messiah who partook of, of the consequences of Adam's disobedience to the point of death and in doing so coming out the other end by resurrection and exaltation in fulfillment of Adam's vocation and number three we observe that as an example of Adam Christology Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11 is not depicting Jesus as one who pre-existed the original human being Adam rather Jesus is depicted as an obedient member of the human race who refused to take advantage of his privileges in such a way that could and should be emulated by the readers of Philippians. If you enjoy the Biblical Unitarian Podcast and you would like to donate to the work that it is doing, please check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith, and until next time, you take care.